For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and figure out the cost, to see if he has enough to finish it? Luke chapter 14 and verse 28. pause before we sign that final piece of paper. When we make a decision to perhaps buy a new car or buy a new home, or maybe even hit the pay now button before we pay for a vacation or a flight that we have to use, we have to go on, we consider the wisdom of careful consideration. And that's what Messiah is asking of us as we consider today on Messiah in life two parables that lay before us the gravity of the decision. How much will it impact us to follow the risen Messiah? If we pause considering the impact that a monthly car payment will cause in our life, how much more so pausing to consider the cost of following him? That's what we need to consider. And that's why the Messiah is emphasizing the in these parables our decision, our response, the response to the urgent invitation, the response to the parables of the find, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price. And as we considered in part 11 of Messiah and the parables, early Christian interpretation emphasized the Christological meaning of the parable of the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price. And many of the early Gentile church leaders assumed that the treasure, Christ, was passed over by the Jewish people, remaining hidden, and now the treasure has moved to the nations. But Messiah didn't intend for us to understand the parables in that manner. He didn't intend to teach that the Jewish people had been disowned or disinherited from the promises of the living God. See, the meaning and the message of these parables are kingdom-centric. Messiah is attempting to help us understand the great value of the kingdom of God. For Messiah, the kingdom of God is everything. There is nothing of this creation that can compare in value or importance to the kingdom of God. And this consideration, this understanding is what leads us into our study today. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 14, beginning verse 28, and I'll conclude in verse 33. We read the words of Yeshua, Jesus. For which of you, wanting to build a a tower, doesn't first sit down and figure out the cost to see if he has enough to finish it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and isn't able to finish everything, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, won't first sit down to consider whether he is able with 10,000 to confront the one coming against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far away, he sends an ambassador and asks for peace. So in the same way, Whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The importance 
the decision that we make to follow him, the impact of the kingdom of God and the the discipleship of following the Messiah, what does that have on our life? As Yeshua says, it is a setting right. And he says it in a very unique way we'll consider in a moment. But it is a setting right, a setting in proper order, the things in our life. So, when we've considered the value of the kingdom of God, we need to reflect on the careful consideration that should lead to our total commitment to the kingdom of God. So, in this, behind these two parables, the parable of the tower builder and the the parable of the king going to war, we have that wisdom of careful consideration. Do I have enough to complete what I've started? Can I go against this when I only have this? Messiah is teaching the parables again to the multitudes that begin to follow him. Many people have seen the signs, they've seen the wonders, they've tasted of the bread, they've tasted of the fish, and now they begin to follow him, not um, as a means of devotion to him, but to see what they can get from him. And because of that, they're not considering what it will cost to actually follow him. Now, Messiah isn't attempting to build a following of people that's focused on numbers, but a following of people who will willingly sacrifice all in pursuit of the living God. So, consider what we, we would have read earlier in Luke chapter 14, 25, 27. Now, great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So, these words, they would have been shocking. They would have been shocking in the first century, just as they are shocking in the 21st century. It's contrary to the law of Moses to hate our father, our mother, our wife, our children, our brother, our sister. But actually, our first and primary love is to the Lord God. But our love for him, again, we talk about the vertical and the horizontal love of God. The vertical love of God directed to him is demonstrated horizontally in our love of father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, neighbor, stranger, enemy, and so on. But his love demands that we love him first. And then we demonstrate that love with a genuine love for all of those that we've just listed and considered. But we have to make him primary. We may have to make him first. We have to remember our first love, return to our first love. But responding to the call of Messiah is going to create some type of conflict between ourselves and our families. And that's something else that we need to consider. Are we willing to endure this conflict? This is just part of what it means to bear our cross and to follow after him. For many in the faith, the cross of Messiah simply becomes a symbol of the work of salvation. And in the very least, it becomes simply a decorative ornament that someone wears. But the cross and the teaching of Yeshua symbolize a call to 
radical discipleship, radical self-sacrifice, and even degrading discipleship. All that comes with following, all that we may endure, all that we may experience, this comes with taking up our cross and following him. Messiah would have immediately gained the attention of his audience. When you listen to this parable, if you hear it read, he opens with which of you, and immediately we would set ourselves in that. Which of you? We would put ourselves in that leading role, the one who is building the tower, the king who is considering the war. So these parables, the kingdom, uh, excuse me, the tower builder and the king going to war are simple. They're relatable explanations of the deeper truth that each of us must count the cost of discipleship. And whether or not it's a price that we're willing to pay, whether or not we are willing to let go of that which is no longer pertinent, no longer in first place. We must set him in first place, and then we will rightly steward that which he has entrusted to us, the lives of those around us, the the property, the possessions that he has called us to use for his glory. And whether or not we will see in this way the project to the end. So the need for careful and deliberate planning is a common theme throughout the parables of Christianity and parables that we find within Judaism. But we also find this in Scripture as well, most importantly. In Proverbs 24, 3-6, we find a similar concept explained that we find in these twin parables. Through wisdom, Solomon writes, a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war. And in a a multitude of counselors there is safety. That wisdom of consideration, that wisdom that comes to us as we consider and count the costs. The wisdom of a multitude of counselors of coming together. Come let us reason. So, just as the owner-builder would consider the cost of building and the king would calculate the cost of war, disciples must consider the all-encompassing demands of his call. Dr. David Biven explains regarding the first century rabbi and disciple relationship. Dr. Biven writes, In a rabbi-disciple relationship, the disciple was expected to place himself in a position of total obedience and dedication to his rabbi and his philosophy. It was his desire to become just like him. This was said to be taking on the yoke of the rabbi. The life of a disciple was not a bed of roses. In the Mishnah, it is referred to as a painful experience. This is the way of the Torah. Eat bread with salt, drink water by measure, sleep on the ground, live a painful existence, and labor in the study of the Torah. Like the other rabbis of his day, Jesus clearly indicates the disciples' existence would be difficult. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, his disciples would lead an itinerant lifestyle without permanent accommodation. 
The life of a student engaged in study with him would be rigorous and the great sacrifice would be, would be required. Such a lifestyle would necessarily be characterized by extreme dedication to the task and to the teacher. Alfred Edersheim explains this. A man who was about to build a tower must count the cost of, the, of his undertaking. It was not enough that he was prepared to defray the expense of the foundations. He must look to the cost of the whole. So must they, in becoming disciples, look not on what was involved in the present following of Christ, but remember the cost of the final acknowledgement of Jesus. Again, if a king went to war, common prudence would lead him to consider whether his forces were equal to the great contest before him. Else, it were far better to withdraw in time, even though it involved humiliation from what, in the view of his weakness, would end in miserable defeat. So, and much more, must the intending disciple make the complete inward surrender of all, deliberately counting the cost, and in view of the coming trial, ask himself whether he had, indeed, sufficient inward strength, the force of the love to Christ to conquer. And thus discipleship then, and in measure, to all time, involves the necessity of complete inward surrender to everything for the love of Christ, so that if and when the time of outward trial comes, we may be prepared to conquer in the fight. He fights well. He was first fought and conquered within. So this is precisely why so many we see have accepted Christ, but then flounder, struggle, wrestle, and eventually deny. Now, because we may be struggling or because we may be wrestling, that does not mean that we're in denial of him. No, we're fighting the good fight of faith. But it's those who say, I have not considered the full cost of the final acknowledgement of Jesus, as Edersheim wrote. These individuals have not counted the cost of following the Lord who has given his life as a sacrifice. The truth is that the sacrifice that we might endure will be more than compensated for, more than rewarded by a loving God who is filled with grace and mercy. The joy that we receive in service to God is beyond our human comprehension. As Paul writes, he indicates this. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. The surrender of our lives to him doesn't mean that we abandon those that we're supposed to love, those that we're supposed to respect. As I said, it's quite the contrary. We love them with a greater devotion, a purer devotion, a purer love and care than we could have ever loved them before. Precisely because we have learned how to love from the Lord God who is love. Because of how severe these words of Messiah are, as he introduces these parables with such stern language, some have suspected that these are not actually his words. But if we consider these two short parables in light of the gospel accounts, we see that they are perfectly in line with his teaching 
and with his expectation. See, it's an authentic voice of Christ that is here. Choosing in this the vocation, the calling, to respond to the calling of Messiah, to learn from him, involves tremendous sacrifice, a sacrifice of time, a sacrifice of self-will. And it becomes clear that there is a warning here. Don't start if you're not complete. You have to take into consideration. You have to use the wisdom of consideration. And only after that serious time of reflection, soul searching, should we finalize that decision and say, yes. Messiah is beckoning all of us to come to him for salvation, for rest. But then he expects that we will follow him in whatever condition, in whatever state or position that we may find ourselves in. We're not guaranteed that when we come to Messiah that everything is going to go right, everything is going to be perfect, we're going to have wealth beyond measure and blessing beyond measure. We're never guaranteed that, we're never told that. To follow him is to surrender all unto him and to receive with thanksgiving that which he has ordained for us, That's what's, that which he has set in order for us. And when we do this and when we see that we've counted the cost, we're taking up our cross, we're following after him. As he said, come follow me. We're imitating him as Paul imitated him, as Peter imitated him. And we do so in order to gain him, to receive him, to be joined with him, to know him, and to be known by him. And this is the battle that we all endure. There will be days when we do this beautifully and we say, there's nothing to this because we're just flowing and moving in great certainty. And then there are days when we're wondering, Lord, have, have I made the greatest mistake? But I want to assure you, if you're listening to this, even if you're wrestling, even if you find yourself in a place of great tribulation, great discomfort, great pressing, that he has you and that he is using you. You may not see it, but others do. And never give up hope that he called you and in that call he has purposed for you to do that for which he brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. So friends, I hope and pray that you received something of value, something of worth that will bless your heart and bless your walk for this time and this season. And as we go through our days, I hope and pray that we continue to encourage each other. Some of you I have no contact with, so you can't encourage me directly, but you can encourage someone else. And I think that's a great joy and a great blessing of being joined together in the one body of Messiah. So no matter where you find yourself this week and no matter the circumstance, and many of us are facing very difficult trials this week between the flooding rains and the oppressive, dangerous heat that much of the country is under in the United States. And wherever you are in the world, whatever you might be facing, my prayer is for you to know the peace of God that surpasses all understanding in Messiah Yeshua. So until our next episode, 
as we are very rapidly coming to the conclusion of the parable series. I hope and pray that you'll join again next week for another parable and another study. And until then, I pray his blessing be upon all of you. May the Lord bless and keep you all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.